This is Isolated Together, a pandemic podcast by Quinnipiac University. I'm David DeRoche. For episode six of Isolated Together, guest host Vince Contrucci interviews Chris Cole. He's the executive director of A Place to Nourish Your Health in New Haven. That's also known as APNH. It's a nonprofit that provides culturally competent care for people living with HIV, substance use, mental illness, and other related conditions. They'll talk more about what culturally competent care actually is and what that looks like during the pandemic. This is Isolated Together. Stick around for more information on our next episode. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to the Isolated Together podcast. I am one of your hosts, Vince Contrucci, Director of Community Service at Quinnipiac University. Uh, with me today is Chris Cole, Executive Director of A Place to Nourish Your Health in New Haven. Thank you for joining me today, Chris. How are you? I'm well, Vince. How are you? Good. So you're the Executive Director at, at APNH. Can you explain, you know, um, what drew you to come to New Haven? I know that, you know, you weren't, I think you moved to New Haven for the position? So I moved to Connecticut from... California. I grew up in Dutchess County, New York, so not very far from from here, but then was working in California for over a decade and came back to Connecticut to be near family and uh, and in a more affordable place because Los Angeles area is not affordable. And then just sort of knew someone who was leading the search for a new executive director at APNH when the former executive director was retiring and ran into this person and they said, hey, would you be interested? And I, I interviewed and that's that's how I ended up at APNH 12 years yeah. ago. I know that, you know, your, your tenure as executive director APNH has, there's been a lot of change and a lot of growth uh, with what APNH is and how it's positioned itself. And can, so can you explain kind of um, how you approached uh, beginning of the APNH and the changes that have occurred with the agency so our listeners get a better sense of uh, what A Place to Nourish Your Health was and how it's transitioned and what it does now. Yeah, so uh, for 35 years, we were AIDS Project New Haven. And, you know, when, when I got there about 12 years ago, we were very much a, a social service organization doing case management, some support services, uh, some education, outreach into the community. But since I've been there, you know, really around the evolution of HIV as a disease mm -hmm. and funding from the federal government, we've become much more clinical. We are now medical case managers. Uh, we provide a lot more uh, mental health and substance abuse treatment services. Everything that we do is measured by uh, health outcomes and, in particular, viral suppression around HIV. And then uh, just over two, two years ago, we changed our name and rebranded and became APNH, A Place to Nourish Your Health, expanded our mission from providing comprehensive HIV services to culturally competent health care and support services to anyone who was facing stigma in the community. Mm -hmm. And so we opened our services to the LGBT community and are providing a lot of behavioral health for LGBT individuals. We've got a transgender support group. 
We are uh, doing a lot more programming around uh, support for folks who have loved ones who are substance users and um, and just continually looking at ways that we expand the programs and services that we provide for anyone who has trouble receiving culturally competent health care. We want to be a place where people feel welcome, where people yeah. feel valued and supported. And even if we're not providing the direct services to those folks, we want to be a liaison to make sure that they get the services that they need in the healthcare care uh, system. So we're proud of the work that we do. And and we have a lot of area for growth in our new mission and vision. You were talking a little bit there, and you used a term culturally competent, culturally competent healthcare. Can you maybe explain a little bit more what would be culturally competent healthcare for the population that APNH is seeking to serve? Yeah, so we want folks to feel valued and comfortable with who they are in receiving their health care. So, you know, many times folks who are LGBT don't feel comfortable in their healthcare setting. Someone who is a um, transgender individual may walk into a health center and the only options on the patient enrollment form may be male and female. And, and then they're given a hard time when what they check on the enrollment form doesn't match what may be on their driver's license because they currently identify as female, but maybe when they were born, the gender assigned to them at birth was male. A gay man may walk into a, a health center and not feel very comfortable talking about their sexual health with their health care provider if their health care provider isn't another gay man or right. isn't at least exhibiting a welcoming environment and, and asking questions in a way that are non-judgmental. Substance user, whether in recovery or not in recovery, may not feel comfortable and confident sharing that information with a healthcare provider who may be very judgmental. So we work with folks to meet them where they're at, to embrace who they are uh, mm -hmm. and value who they are. And if they don't have that in their healthcare environment, we work with them to get that in their healthcare environment or get them to clinics and providers who, who do have that. And certainly our staff uh, are there to support, to support folks uh, in whoever they are, wherever they are. With an environment like yours, you know, it's a very high-touch, interpersonal uh, relationship with your clients and staff members. And how has the pandemic affected your operations in, in being able to provide services uh, to clients and people interested in, in you know, accessing what APNH does? So it's completely affected, and in some ways not at all. I'm proud to say that we're providing all of the services that we provided before. And we adapted very quickly. Our last day in the office for everyone was March 13th. And before that, uh, anyone who had children um, as schools started closing, we allowed them to work from home. And we got everyone set up very, very quickly to work from home, to use Zoom technology and telehealth technology, rerouting their cell phones through their office phones so that they could call uh, clients and stay in touch without, you know, disclosing their personal cell phone numbers. They can call through their office phones. If they get a phone call, 
during business hours in the office, it rings to their home phone or cell phone. And every single staff member is continuing to work uh, and working uh, remotely from home. We do have three staff members that are still working in the office. I think the biggest impact is we're not doing clearly in-person meetings or support groups. However, every single one of our support groups is happening on Zoom. Every single client is working with their medical case manager or the staff member that they would normally be working with via telephone or telehealth. We're providing telehealth in all of our behavioral health services. And in many cases, what it's allowed us to do is, is we've been in greater contact with some of our clients because we're checking in with each and every one of them. And typically we will see high acuity clients and, and the folks with lower needs we don't, we don't see or, or, or have as much contact with. It might be every six months when we do an update that we talk with those folks. And yeah. now everyone's in a, in a situation where they need more support and our staff are reaching out. And you know our, our initial priorities were one, health literacy, making sure that folks knew what it meant to social distance and had the support that they needed making sure that everyone had a 90-day supply of medications, making okay. sure, you know, and folks weren't waiting until last minute to get prescriptions refilled. That's, you know, in, in the HIV world, if you don't have your medication, you're in big trouble. So we work, we work very closely with everyone to make sure that they had what they need and were planning ahead and they had the food that they needed. I think the biggest challenge for us in, in the beginning was our food programs how do we continue our food programs and maintain safety and, and social distancing? It was easy with, you know, behavioral health or uh, meeting with clients. We could just start doing that over the phone. So we, we immediately transitioned our emergency food pantry to grab-and-go pantry. So uh, in the past, folks could come in and shop for food that they needed. Unfortunately, yeah. they're unable to shop now, but they can come and get pre-prepared grocery bags, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, they can pick up at our location at 1302 Chapel Street. So when you when, when you say shop, you're using that as like a euphemism. You you mean like self-select the items that they would like yeah, from the exactly. pantry? Exactly, self-select. Yeah. Versus um, now they can't. Now right. we give them bags that we've prepared because clearly it wouldn't be safe for that. And they can't, they don't enter the building. We have a a table in the front of the building that maintains a distance. People ring a bell, they come, they get their food. They can also uh, pick up medications if medications are delivered to APNH. Or we, we got a grant from the Community Foundation to provide emergency food cards for folks, which we'll mail out or folks okay. can come to the organization and get during our pantry hours. So we've, we've been highly focused on making sure folks have the food and the basic services that they need and continue to get the support that they need and helping them with some of the technology. It's really interesting. Our support groups started where we may have one or two people who were on Zoom because they, people didn't have the technology or know they had the technology and couldn't figure it out that there are medical visits that are important done through telehealth. And as a matter of fact, we have a program that is called Aging Positively for people living with HIV over 50. It's a program that is designed to reduce social isolation and improve health yeah. outcomes that are a result of social isolation, which we find in a lot of older individuals who are living with HIV, especially long-term HIV. And 
So that's a hard thing to do when you can't get together. What we have found and, and found, you know, initially, like I said, people were, we'd get one or two people on a call uh, or a Zoom meeting, and now we're getting more. And we're doing a technology survey of that group to look at who is connected, how they're connected, what they have. We've revised the deliverables for that grant, and we're going to provide a test group with some iPads and see how that changes their ability to stay connected even though they can't do that in person. Yeah. One of the challenges that we had prior to this with that group was we would have you know, workshops and social activities and core group meetings and something every week, but we still had a group of people that we just could not get out. And in many cases, those were folks who had you know, significant disabilities, motion, you know, lack of ability to move very easily, yeah incontinence, impairment of some sort. And, and in many cases, it was they were embarrassed to come out. And we couldn't figure out how to, how to overcome that. And those folks are more connected now than they ever had an opportunity to be because they're connected from their home. Yeah. And they can do so utilizing technology. So I think that one of the outcomes of, of this is we are going to look at how we use technology more and more to keep people connected in a way that we weren't able to before. So I think overall there are some positives that will come from this. I think, I think we're going to see uh, increased in, uh, adherence to medical appointments too. You know, transportation is a real issue right. for many of our clients who, you know, for, for many different, whether it's mobility issues or finances, when if folks can do telehealth, I think we're going to see people more adherent and compliant with their medical appointments and such. So it's, it's interesting. You know, it's been a challenging yeah. period, but I think there are some real beneficial outcomes that may come from this. And even, even with our workforce, it's, we've been having conversations about running out of space. We, we're in a, a big old Victorian home on Chapel Street and it, you know, it's a great place. We pride ourselves in the fact that we're a homey environment. We're not a clinical feeling setting. And we do welcome everyone with hugs and, and want them to feel at home. And that's something we're unable to do right now. And, and we certainly long to get back to. But our staff are working very effectively from home. And we've begun having conversations about, well, maybe this is more of the solution to some of our space needs than expensive solutions like building on space or moving to another location. You know, there right. may be options where we have staff who are in the office certain days of the week and working from home other days of the week and more shared office space, certainly not something that we'll have right away, given that when we do get back to the office, I think we will be much more compartmentalized for a while until there's a, right. a vaccine and we feel like it's really safe. I, I think, you know, we'll all be going in with masks and going to our own spaces and being really careful. And I think, you know, we'll be home for quite a while. Speaking about, you know, a vaccine and, you know, you're working with, you know, a clientele and some clients that may have compromised immune systems, you know, how is that affecting them? You know, I, I imagine that has to, you know, produce a great deal of anxiety. And, and how, you know, are you seeing that come through in clients when, when you're meeting with them, either for, for like uh, health appointments or just in the support groups? I mean, you know, are you hearing those type of things? Yeah. So, you know, our goal is viral suppression and, yeah. and that our, our clients aren't living with 
significantly compromised immune systems. And we're pretty effective at that and do a good mm -hmm. job. And all of the information that uh, has come out and certainly that we have seen from our own client base is that uh, living with managed HIV is not an increased risk for COVID, which is a great thing. Someone who's living with unmanaged HIV, that can become uh, an issue, but it would be a, an issue otherwise anyway. And if we're working with you, you're you're on your road, you're, you're either uh, virally suppressed or well on your way to being virally suppressed. And, uh, and we do a great job in this part of the country in, in keeping it that way. What we're more concerned with are the comorbidities that, that our clients have. And, and those are the same concerns everyone else in the population has. So, you know, our aging clients, those who uh, have hypertension or are overweight or have any of the other, you know, respiratory issues and such, just like the general population. And, you know, the folks that we have seen who have been hospitalized, and we've had a handful of clients who have been hospitalized, all have other co-concurring -con uh, issues, and, and those are the reasons they've been hospitalized, not their HIV. So, and, uh, you know, we've seen everything from in the support groups and our behavioral health, health appointments, you know, people who haven't left their bedroom in weeks, to people who are going on with life as though nothing is happening, and both yeah. are concerning, right? <laughs> right. People who are out there in the community doing like nothing is happening, <laughs> like stay home. And the people who won't leave their bedroom, we're saying you can come out of your room, you know, and, and then there's everyone in between. And yeah. I don't think that that's any different than the whole rest of the population from, from folks I've talked to. And, you know, we've just added two support groups that start this week. One is a mourning group. We have had some clients who have lost parents. We've had staff members that have lost parents. We've had clients that have lost spouses and friends, certainly. And I think one of the biggest challenges that we have seen, and I, I can only imagine, are they can't mourn. They can't right. grieve. So we've just started a support group for grieving. And, you know, how do you grieve when you can't have a memorial service? How do you grieve when you can't say goodbye to the person that you've lost? You know, the last time you saw them was when they were healthy or if, if you happen to live with the person when they went off to the hospital and never came home. Right. And right. those are challenging things. We also just started a support group for dealing with anxiety in a socially distant world. Because we we're seeing you know and it's and it's open to everyone uh, HIV non HIV LGBTQ anyone anywhere yes. it's a Zoom meeting if someone from from California wanted to come in come please and it's really you know we're all dealing with a whole different level of anxiety and unknown and you know how how do you get support in that and um, so we've started a support group for that that's awesome which I'm proud of and and. Uh, and we're able to do on Zoom, which is great. That's that's really incredible. Uh, I have a one of my friends is a, a funeral director, and um, he he's been talking to me uh, about some of the, you know, uh, funeral directors don't just bury bodies; they they also help families in you know through the grieving process and in finding closure. And it's been really challenging for them in you know having you know working with with people that are losing spouses and relatives and not being able to say that final goodbye, not being able to have a, a formal service, and then 
being, you know, because they may have been living with the person that, you know, succumbed to COVID-19, then being forced to self-isolate, you know, so they, they can't grieve with anybody. They, you know, they can't have physical touch with, with others. And, you know, it's so, you know, emotionally challenging for them. So, you know, it's so important for people to have that outlet to be able to, to talk about what they're experiencing. That's pretty awesome. You know, people who aren't getting support, you know, we're all human beings, regardless of what we do for a living or, or what we do. And people who aren't getting support in any other venue. So, you know, we, we work with folks who are sex workers and, you know, they're not getting support from the federal government like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and their business is certainly down and much more dangerous than it was even before. And some of our some of our clients, whether we know it or not, are, are drug dealers and their business is affected as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, we don't judge folks. We treat everyone as a human being with value and, and, and dignity. Um, and, you know, everyone's level of anxiety, uh, whether you're a a well-esteemed position in our community or or you're someone who is facing significant stigma in our community are all dealing with a level of uncertainty and anxiety and that's that's what we're looking to try to address with folks and provide opportunities for people that oftentimes are overlooked in our community. Chris, just to, you know, kind of close things out, uh, if folks want to learn more about APNH and the services that the agency provides, uh, what are some of the ways that they could, you know, connect uh, with APNH? Yeah, so I would say, um, and certainly right now, the very best way is through our website, APNH.org. It's a pretty comprehensive website. We had it redesigned about a year and a half, two years ago when we did our branding shift, and we're proud of it, and it gives lots of information you know, normally I would say come and volunteer with us. And, um, you know, that's one of the other big impacts of this whole thing is all of our fundraising is put on hold for this year. You know, fortunately, the community has been responsive and some of our funders have been very responsive. Um, like the Community Foundation has supported us through this and the Mac Viva Glam Fund has put out um, additional funding that we've applied for, and, and there's been other opportunities that have helped fill in some of those gaps. But, you know, our Dining Out for Life event, which is our largest fundraising of the event of the year, was supposed to happen uh, two weeks ago and was canceled and, and probably won't be rescheduled this year. I don't see, I don't see there being an opportunity for restaurants to support us. As a matter of fact, I am hoping that we're able to all get back out into the community in the fall and we're looking at maybe having the event this year to support them instead of them supporting us because they're right. doing it this year. You know, those are, I would say our website right now is the very best way to connect with us. And then we're, when we're back open, uh, we would love to have folks volunteer and, and come and, you know, certainly if, if folks need services, reach out to yeah. us and we have lots of services available. We're not okay. slowing down right now. And if, if somebody wanted to, to volunteer, is there a way to volunteer virtually? Not really. We've had, okay. we've had some offers for that. And there's, there's, uh, we do need volunteer food delivery. And we do have some folks that are, have been willing to and have been out doing food delivery for us. But there's not really very many ways to volunteer virtually. We, we tried that. We had some organizations that wanted to volunteer reaching out to clients and just touching base and you know, feeling like folks would be social isolated and, 
And as we reached out to folks to see who would want to be connected, the feedback that we got was that they wanted to be connected with each other, but not with someone they didn't know. So we didn't move forward with that. So there's really, unfortunately right now, not a lot of ways to be um, involved virtually. We are looking at some things where our development person, Fran, and I just chatted this morning and there's an opportunity to do um, a virtual race series that would raise money for us. So we may be looking at opportunities for people to go out and do some running and uh, raise some money and it wouldn't be an organized community run. They would do it on their own, but raise money, right. that sort of thing. So stay tuned. Uh, we're hoping to have some, some opportunities for that sort of thing. But right now, right now we really don't have significant ways that folks can volunteer virtually. Okay. Uh, the Connecticut Food Bank did a, a virtual run just a couple of weeks ago. So you could reach out with them and, you know, because they organized that. I don't know um, how much participation they had, but it was an event that they, they did put on. So uh, thank you so much again for joining me today, Chris. My pleasure. Um, thank you. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak with you as always and to provide this opportunity and platform for us to educate folks about APNH, the important work that it does in the community and different ways that they can support your agency moving forward. I appreciate it. Thank you. And we look forward to hopefully in the fall, we'll all be back to some sense of normalcy and we'll have, we'll have students back in working and we'll, uh, we'll be moving forward. Right. Awesome. Okay. Thanks again, Chris. That was Quinnipiac University's own Vince Contrucci interviewing Chris Cole, the executive director of APNH in New Haven. The show is also hosted and produced by me, David DeRoche. I'm the director of community programming at Quinnipiac, and I also did the music. To learn more about all of our podcasts, you can visit qu.edu slash podcast. You can subscribe to all of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other apps. Definitely check us out on Twitter and Instagram at qupodcasts. And if you have a story you want to share with us or something you want us to talk about or questions or comments about other shows we've been doing, you can reach out to us on social media or shoot us an email. That address is qupodcasts at qu.edu. On the next episode of Isolated Together, President and CEO of Credit Union League of Connecticut. Now that we're wearing masks, we all kind of look like bank robbers. So what's that been like for tellers? We'll talk about that and a lot of other stuff, of course. We are isolated together, but we can get through this together. Thanks for listening.